one day, what we believe as Christians is that God will restore in the future what He created in the past. John went on to tell us about it. He said, I heard with a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. That's exactly what was described on the first page of your Bible. Now we're reading about it on the last page of our Bibles. God is going to restore what He once created. I'm glad that you're with us today on Resonate with Trent Griffith. I'm Aaron Paulus. In this final message in the series, Think Christianity in High Definition, Pastor Trent concludes with part two of a message on the doctrine of the future. Last week, we learned that Christ's return will usher in a new future that even creation longs for. What will the future hold for the believer when Christ returns? Here's Pastor Trent. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. That was in the past. That's the gospel of personal transformation. But He will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because He already did that. When He comes a second time, what's He going to do? He's going to save future. He's going to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Now we're talking about the gospel of of cosmic transformation. We're going to be set free from these bodies when He comes again. So what will it be like? What what do we know about, again, a lot of speculation, a lot of things that we're really not clear about, and we can debate those things and have fun with them, but here's what we know about the return of Christ. Number one, it will be sudden. The Bible says it'll be like a thief in the night. We don't even know when it's coming, but it's coming. That's the hope that at any moment, at any time, on any given day, Christ could come. So we know His return will be sudden. We also know that His return will be personal. John 14.3 is such an incredibly intimate verse. It says, this is Jesus speaking to His closest disciples, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to Myself that where I am, you may be also. How many of you have ever built a home? You ever, you ever like build your own home? We we did that our first home that didn't have wheels on it was actually a home that we built, and um, and and it took like nine months to build it. Like I didn't build anything. I don't know how to build anything, but I know how to find somebody that does know how to build stuff. And and they built the home. It took like nine months, and and you pick out all your cabinets and your flooring and your paint and all those different things. It took me nine. It's a nice home, but listen, Jesus promised that He was going to prepare a place. And He he left the earth like 2,000 years ago. Do you know what He's been doing since that time? He's been building you a home. Now, my home was nice. took nine months to build it. He's been working on His for 2,000 years. I'm thinking it's going to be an upgrade, okay, over whatever you got going on here. There is a place that is prepared for you. And He says, I will come again and I will take you not just to heaven, I'm taking you to myself, the place where I dwell, that where I am, you may be also. Do you see how intimately personal we are to view the return of Christ? So if you're a person that gets all jacked up about charts and diagrams and times and dates and all that stuff, you you probably have missed this very intimate, personal understanding of the return of Of Christ. Don't miss it. It's personal. Not only is it personal, it is going to be visible. 
1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and the sound of trumpets of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. You're not going to miss it. It's, it's not going to be like some secret thing that just happens. Like, what, what just happened? Everybody disappeared. It's like, no, we're all going to know when Christ comes. And, and not only will it be visible, it will be bodily. 1 John 3, 2 says Christ will come in this way. What will be uh, has not yet appeared. Now, this is John, closest disciple to Jesus. And John admits, I don't quite have my eschatology figured out. I'm not quite sure what it's going to be like when he comes. I'm not, I, I, just, I don't have all that figured out. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Whatever He is, that's what we're going to be. I don't quite know what He's going to be, but whatever He is, that's what we are going to be. You're going to have a resurrected body at the return of Christ, a glorious body with none of your current limitations. Gonna be, it's going to be awesome. All right, here's, here, here's another thing. You say, well, when is it going to happen? It seems like it's taking a long time. Peter wants to assure you in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. So what's He waiting for? Why can't it be today? Listen, He says He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So what's he waiting for? He's waiting for some of you knuckleheads to believe in Christ. He loves you so much. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He's giving you an opportunity to respond in faith. He sent some crazy preacher to tell you the gospel today so that you wouldn't die and spend eternity apart from him. That's what he's waiting for. He loves you that much because we're all knuckleheads. And it takes a while to get through the thick-headedness of those of us that want all the scientific proof and all. Listen, that is, that, is a, that is a sad future if you're waiting to figure out all the answers to your questions before you repent and believe. And yet he's patient and he's waiting. But don't wait too late. He's slow, but he's always on time. Don't wait too late. Here's the third thing that we know about the future. Actually, let me go back to one more thing about the, uh, the second thing. The, the future will, will, will begin at the return of Christ, and we've made a, a lot here in the last five minutes or so about your personal salvation. When He comes, it's going to be intimate. He's going to prepare a place for you. But do you understand that, that there's a sense in which Christ is returning for you, and there's a sense in which Christ is returning for Himself? Because Christ doesn't exist to make much of you. You exist to make much of Christ. And when He comes, what is He coming to do? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 say this, "...making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time," there's future, "...to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things." things in earth. What's He coming to do? He's coming to unite all the things that are currently disconnected from Him. Notice that 
everything in heaven and everything in earth will be united to him. What does that mean? That the things in heaven and things in earth will eventually be united. We're going to read about that in just a minute. We need to understand that it's really not about me. It's all about him. So here's the third thing that we know about the future. The future will include final judgment. You know, in our culture, the only thing that is left in our culture that is evil is judging evil. You know that? You ever try to help somebody see something they weren't able to see? You ever, you ever confront somebody with truth? You ever maybe even try to correct somebody? And what's the response? Don't judge me. Are you judging me? Stop judging me. You ever get that? That's a reaction because... We are knuckleheads and we have hard hearts and we don't want to be confronted with the truth and we don't want to change. But here's the reality. Um, You will be judged and so will I. Hebrews 9.27 makes that promise. It is appointed for man to die once. And after that, wait, I thought we were dead. Yeah, but there's stuff after that. After that comes judgment. So death is not the cessation of life. Death is the separation of the soul from the body. And after the soul is separated from the body, the soul is going to stand before Christ in judgment. How many of you are usually late for appointments? Anybody have trouble making an appointment on time? I got good news for you. There's going to be an appointment you're going to show up on time for. (laughs) It's guaranteed. It may be the first one in your life, and it may not even happen in your life, but right after life, you got an appointment, and God's going to make sure you're there. And it's the appointment for judgment. So who, who will be the judge? Who will we be standing before in judgment? Well, Jesus told us, Uh, in John 5, 22 and 23. uh, He says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So who will we be judged by? We will be judged by Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ will be the standard by which we are judged. Now, let let me tell you something. When when we think about a judge, when we think about a trial, when we think about being held accountable, we think of a modern American courtroom with a jury, and we think about defense attorneys, and we think about uh, evidence being brought, and DNA, and we think about, you know, CSI and all that stuff. That's not the scene here, okay? This is not an investigative judgment where you will bring any evidence or try to prove your innocence or guilt The judge is omnipotent. He already knows everything that you've done. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows everything you've ever said. He knows everything you ever thought. He knows everything you ever thought about doing. He knows that. That That's what you're going to be held accountable for. It's not a judgment of investigation. It's a judgment of proclamation and glorification. The judgment is all about God's right to be judge. No one judges God. God judges everyone. 
And if you ever have been in the spot of like, you know, sitting down, God, let me think about the way you just did that or what you're not doing. You, you have reversed the order of judgment. That's why you need to know that in the future, a day is coming when you will stand before Him in judgment. So who will be there? Two types of people. First of all, there will be Christians standing in judgment before God, believers. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, if you still have your Bible open there, you can look at it there. But it says that for those of us who have been justified, remember the, the doctrine of justification? Our legal standing was made right before this judge. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, for those of us who have been justified, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what is the judgment here? Well, notice what it says in Romans 14, 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We will be held accountable. What will we be held accountable for? We will be held accountable for all of the revelation that we have been graciously given. Now, that's both good news and bad news for people of Harvest Bible Chapel because more than many other peoples on the planet who have ever existed, you hold in your hands a printed copy of God's Word. You have all 66 books. Do you know that there are millions and millions of pastors on the globe today that maybe have a page or a half a page or a few verses from the thing that you hold in your hand right now? Do you know that there are people that have never heard someone preach an expository message with PowerPoint and lights and look at the, oh, the nice air-conditioned church and the padded pews that we have and, oh, but, yeah. God is going to hold us accountable for what we've done with what we've been given. What are you doing with the truth that God has given you? Final judgment should motivate the Christian to pursue holiness and fulfill the Great Commission and get the gospel into the hands of people that don't have the same level of revelation that you and I have. Not only will Christians be judged, but unbelievers will be judged as well. We read about that in Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, just that means knucklehead, okay? Uh, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Anybody here have a storage unit? You got just stuff stored up in there and you just kind of keep shoving stuff in there. You say, well, why don't you just get rid of it? Well, I might need it someday. You're storing it up for future use. And Paul says, there are a lot of knuckleheads that have storage units filled with God's wrath. And one day it's all coming out for future use. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience, remember that word, in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So God has grace and mercy available for those who seek God's glory and come to him by faith and repentance. And yet... Notice how sad the next verse. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, 
but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And if the previous verse identifies eternal life, verse 8 is certainly talking about eternal death in a place of conscious, eternal torment that the Bible over and over describes as hell. Do you know who spoke most about hell in the Bible? Jesus Christ, the most loving, gracious, tender, kind, holy person. And because of that holiness, hell is a reality. You say, well, how could a loving God send a person to hell for all eternity? I just can't get my mind wrapped around that. Uh, Correct. You're trying to use a finite mind to understand infinite holiness and the infinite offense that we cause God when we are not infinitely holy. He said, I don't understand how... I just Let me put it this way. Um, uh, Fifteen years ago or so, I remember uh, Andrew and I, we were traveling around doing different conferences and churches, and, and uh, we lived in an RV travel trailer. We'd park it on church parking lots, and we went to a church. I don't remember where it was at the time, but all I remember about this church was that it, the, the parking lot was gravel, but it wasn't like little tiny gravel. It was like big rocks about the size of your fist, and just tons of, they must have been, sell at the lumber yard or something, but um, they, they, and these rocks, they had just poured all these rocks all over the, the parking lot, and they were, they were white and they were chalky rocks. They were about this big. And um, th- there was a Saturday in which um, I was teaching a, an all-day Saturday parenting conference. So uh, from 9 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon, you know, how to teach your kid to obey you every time and, and be sweet and gracious and always say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and love Jesus with all their heart. Just like your kids do, right? So uh, uh, that's what that I, that's what I was teaching on that particular day. And at the time, uh, my two oldest children, uh, Brooke and Zach, were four years old and three years old. You say you didn't know a thing about parenting. That's right, but they didn't know that. I'd read books, and I had friends that had kids, and I was doing the best I could there teaching this parenting seminar. So anyway, um, I remember after teaching all day long, I was tired, and I was coming out, and I looked forward just to kind of crashing and, and even seeing my family because I hadn't seen them all day. I walked outside into the parking lot, and the first thing I saw was across the parking lot, four-year-old Brooke, three-year-old Zach, holding in their hands these white chalky rocks. And then my eyes gazed to what was next to them, which was the brand new navy blue Buick that someone in the church had loaned us to drive that week. And on top of the hood of the blue Buick were about 15 rocks. And 16 and 17 were going in the air. My children were finding great personal joy and happiness in throwing rocks on top of the blue Buick. And I'm looking at my kid, and I'm looking at the car. First thing I thought was, you have just invalidated everything I just taught in this parenting <laughs> seminar. 
The second thing I thought is you are destroying this car and you have no idea what you're doing. You're thinking this is happy and this is fun and it's free. And we look at there's no and they have no idea the infinite damage that they're doing to my personal glory and the property of a person who loved us enough to let us borrow the car. Now, I'm sitting there thinking, who's watching this, you know? And, 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 but then I think, how am I going to deal with this situation? And I thought of a couple options. First of all, there's justice, okay? I could walk up to him and like, what are you doing? How much this is going to cost? And you're like, pay up right now. A thousand bucks in my hand. Pull out your wallet. I'll take Visa, debit, MasterCard, anything like that. Just pay up. But I mean, they're four and they're three. They have no resources to pay with, do they? So justice wouldn't work. So I could go on to option number two. Mer there's mercy. It's like, okay, you're going to pay this off over time. You're going to work. You're going to get jobs. And, um, and they have jobs now. You guys could pay. I, you, I mean, you, you pay. it's time to pay up. So anyway, that, 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 that would be mercy if I did it on the installment plan. Here's another option, grace, which means that as their father, I could take responsibility for their sin, and out of my own resources, I could pay for the damage that they caused. That would be grace. Now, you and I are like three-year-old and four-year-old children throwing rocks at the Blue Buick. We have no concept for the infinite damage that we're causing while we're running around throwing parties and playing with things that are creating such damage to the eternal glory of our Father. And so it is infinite holiness that requires infinite payment for infinite, infinitely damaging sin. And because of that, there is a God of justice who will bring into account every deed. God will settle every moral account either on the cross in Christ, thereby providing grace, or in hell, suffering the eternal consequences of choosing to be your own God and to have it your way. Here's the fourth thing we know about the future. The future will culminate in a new heaven and a new earth. Wait for it. Now, when we see the word new here in uh, Revelation, just open your Bible to the last page. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 and 22. We're going to read these here in just a moment. But I want you to see this. John got a glimpse of the future, a preview of coming attractions. And he wrote down what he saw, and this is what he saw. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God and prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so John's doing the best he can to articulate what he's seeing and the best of his vocabulary still leaves us wanting more. But what he tells us is it's something different than what has already existed. When we see the word new in the Bible, don't think of quantitative like a replacement heaven and a replacement earth. Think a qualitative new. 
a restored heaven and a restored earth. What John is telling us, and by the way, verses in the Old Testament very similar in Isaiah in the Old Testament view of what was coming in the consummation of the kingdom of Christ was that Christ would set up His kingdom on earth, but a very different kind of earth than you and I have ever experienced. There's only two human beings that have ever experienced this kind of earth, Adam and Eve. One day... What we believe as Christians is that God will restore in the future what He created in the past. An earth that has no sorrow, no sickness, no pain, no school. Because there will be nothing to learn. He, John went on to tell us about it. He said, I heard with a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. That's exactly what was described on the first page of your Bible. Now we're reading about it on the last page of our Bibles. God is going to restore what He once created. Not only reconciliation, but consummation. What will it be, be like? It'll be a place like where He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things, which are the present things now. The former things, because... John's looking back at what we are experiencing now. The former things have passed away. That is what theologians call the final state. So if you're like me, you haven't done a whole lot of thinking about that. I mean, I like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out my thing like right now. And, and I'm just hoping one day I'm going to die and I've got the assurance that I'm going to heaven. But this is a different kind of heaven. We have the understanding of cartoon heaven. You know Tom and Jerry? Somebody's always dying and floating on a cloud and getting a white robe and playing a harp. That's not the kind of heaven that's described in the Bible. Now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We learned that last week. But what's after that? After that, there is a restoration of a new heaven and a new earth, the final state where Christ will reign as king on the earth in a place where, there, where, the, where the curse has been reversed and we worship Him unhindered in a glorified state. Glorious. My question is this. Are you going to be there? Is that your home? Or do you have your grip so tightly around the things of this earth that when something doesn't go your way, you start to worry, you get confused, and you start to manipulate other people, you get angry, you're always so mad and angry every time you get hurt? Or do you have a view of the future that says, you know what, I'm not living for this day, I'm living for what is in the future. You have a home in heaven. A life lived with the future in mind is a life lived on purpose. Those are thought-provoking words from Pastor Trent Griffith. We've spent the last several weeks learning how to think biblically from Pastor Trent's sermon series, Think, Christianity in High Definition. To hear this or other series from Pastor Trent, 
visit us online at harvestgranger.org and click on the teaching tab. Next week, I hope you'll join us as Pastor Trent teaches on revival in a new series called Awakenings. We'd also like to invite you to join us at one of our weekend worship services at Harvest, Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I pray that God's word will resonate in your heart this week. Resonate is a ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.